I do bring you warm greetings from the church in Catskill. And so many of them here, they could tell you themselves. It is a privilege to be here, especially upon this occasion. We have sought the Lord in our prayer meetings for God's blessing upon you as a church. And we're very thankful for God's gracious provision for you and for the oneness of mind that he has given you in this matter. We rejoice with you at God's goodness, his generous and gracious provision. As I was speaking with my old friend, one of your pastors, Pastor Sarver, he reminded me that a long time ago, I had spoken on 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, wondered if I was going to speak on it again. So I looked up what it said, and it says, If you put the brothers in mind of these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And it seemed appropriate on a day when a church is ordaining a minister to speak about being a good minister of Jesus Christ. Now, I wish I could remember what I said on it. I don't. But what I want to speak to you about today is what this passage says about being a good minister. So let's pray and ask for God's blessing on the ministry of his holy word. Father, thank you for your wonderful, generous provision for this church. Thank you for the way you've preserved these dear brothers and sisters for so many years through difficulties and trials, as you know. You have been so good to them. Thank you for this generous provision. As we consider today what your word says about being a good minister, that you would send us the Holy Spirit And that by grace you would bless all of us, those that labor in the gospel and those that sit in the pews. Bless all of us with gospel light and truth and make this to be profitable to everyone who hears it today. And that you would receive all the honor, praise and glory because you're worthy. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So that's the text that I want to speak about. I want to speak about the context. Now he says, a good minister. He uses a word that often is used to describe a household servant. So a good minister is a household servant in the spiritual house or family or household in which Jesus is the head of the house. It's someone who serves Jesus and his family in an official capacity who takes care of his spiritual household. Now when it says a good minister, it could be translated handsome, but I don't think Paul's telling Timothy how to be a handsome minister. 
could be excellent, eminent, choice, useful, commendable. And the contrast is not so much with a good minister versus an evil one or a wicked one or a handsome one versus an ugly one, but good versus mediocre or average or poor, like we talk about a good hitter. And you might know that it would be nice this year if the Yankees had a good hitter. They have mediocre hitters. They have poor hitters, but they don't really have a good hitter except the one that busted up his toe. So I think that's the contrast. You want to be a good minister, not a mediocre one, not a poor one, but a good one. Now, how do you judge a good minister, an effective minister, a successful minister? You don't judge it the way people judge it. It's not up to men to decide who a good minister is, because you might say, well, a good minister is a minister that is a very popular one. And he has a lot of people listening to him every Sunday. He must be good. Or you might say, well, a good minister is a very famous one. And, you know, it's basically his name is a household name. Everybody knows who he is. He's a, he must be a good minister. That's not what a good minister is, necessarily. The one who decides whether somebody's a good minister or not is Jesus Christ. Success doesn't necessarily mean having all kinds of people from all over the place knowing your name and being famous or being popular, that all kinds of people want to come and listen to you every Sunday. It's not successful or effective as men count success and effectiveness, but it's success and effectiveness as God counts it. Successful in God's eyes. Effective in his judgment. So that is what helped me to be able to preach this today. Because I don't have to think I'm a good minister to preach this. And it doesn't matter whether I think I'm a good minister or not. It makes absolutely no difference. If you said to me, well, who are you to preach about being a good minister? You're right. I'm, no, I'm nobody. I'm not necessarily saying I am one. It isn't about me. It's about what this text says about it. And the one who decides who a good minister is, isn't any of us anyway. It's Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to tell you what it says. And that's how I could justify even daring to speak about it. Now, with that said, this text doesn't tell us everything that could be said about being an effective, qualified, godly minister of the gospel. It doesn't even begin to do that. There's a whole lot of things that it doesn't even speak about. It doesn't speak about the motivation, or it doesn't speak about the heart attachment to Christ, or the qualifications. It doesn't get into any of that stuff. But what it does is it outlines some practical habits of effective ministers of the gospel. You may have heard of literature to talk about habits of highly effective people. But this 
is a description of five habits, not of highly effective people, but of beneficial, in God's eyes, successful servants of Christ. As I say, it's not giving you the full job description or the genuine call to the ministry or the gospel motivations of the ministry or the God-given sufficiency for the ministry. It's not going into any of that stuff. But it's talking about some habits, five practical habits of successful, in God's eyes, beneficial, effective gospel ministers. And the first habit is that effective ministers tell it like it is. Second habit is that they keep their souls in shape. The third is that they practice what they preach. The fourth is that they get their priorities straight. And the fifth is that they watch where they're going. Now, the first habit he opens up in verse 6 itself. He says, if you put before, place before, point out, to the brothers these things, you'll be a good, effective, not mediocre, but successful in God's eyes, minister of Jesus Christ, nourished, that is yourself fed, in the words of the faith, and of the good doctrine that you have carefully followed. If you put and set before the people these things, then you yourself will be effective, someone who himself is living on, fed by the words of the faith that you preach and the beneficial doctrine that you yourself attend to carefully. Effective gospel ministers tell it like it is because they tell it like they see it and they see it like it is because they tell people what the word of God says. If you put the brothers in mind of these things. Well, in the scripture reading, appropriately, save, I'm, I'm glad you did that because saved a bunch of time. Saved me a lot of work having to go back to that and explain what he's talking about in the context. He's talking about the things he's been telling Timothy about how people ought to behave in the church of God. He's talking about telling them the word of God, about what the church ought to be doing. They ought to be praying, telling them about that, who they should be setting aside for elders and for deacons and for women's auxiliary ministries to ladies serving in the church in a higher profile. He's telling them what they should be preaching about Christ and the gospel. And he's telling them that he should be warning the churches warning the people of God, those who believe, about the danger of apostasy and about the characteristics of people that fall away from the faith, their asceticism. And uh, their forced celibacy. Warn them about the errors. Tell them the word of God. Tell it to them fully. Tell it to them fearlessly. Tell it to them faithfully. Give them the word of God. And feed on that word yourself. I think there is a little bit of an imagery carried on from the first five verses where he's talking about meats. He's talking about household servants in God's house serving up spiritual food at the spiritual tables. And you're setting before them the right spiritual food, which is the word of God. 
And you yourself are eating the very spiritual food that you're feeding to them. Feed the sheep God's word. Tell it like it is. And don't be ashamed to apply the word of God to the things they need to hear and to the dangers that they currently face. Address them fearlessly, faithfully, fully. Open up the Bible. So the first habit of a successful, in God's eyes, good, not mediocre, not poor, minister of the gospel is that he tells it like it is. He tells the people the Bible. When he stands in the pulpit, he's not giving them his opinions, not telling funny little jokes and stories. He's not preaching modern science. He's not preaching politics and political agendas. He's preaching the word of God. And he's preaching the word of God fully, fearly, fearlessly, and faithfully. Tells it like it is because he tells it like he sees it, and he sees it like it is because he's telling them what God says. So, folks, that's the first habit. That's what the pulpit's got to be full of, got to be full of the Bible. You want to hear political stuff, you could turn on the news channels. When you come in the doors of the church, this is the book that needs to be expounded off this pulpit. This is what good ministers tell people. They tell it like it is because they tell them the word of God. All right, the second thing that he says about good ministers successful ones in God's eyes is that they keep their souls in shape. They keep their souls in shape. Yeah, they work out, but what they're working out, they're primarily working out their souls, not just their bodies. He says this in verses 7 to 11. He says, but reject profane and foolish myths and exercise yourself toward godliness. Exercise yourself. We get our word gymnasium from this. Work out. Train. With a view to not getting ripped in terms of your physical body. But keeping your soul in shape. Godliness. Christ-likeness. Gospel holiness. Because bodily exercise is a little ben has a little benefit, profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. It's beneficial not only on earth, but also in the eternal state, life after this world. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance, for to this end we labor and agonize, agonizomai, because we trust in the living God, who's the Savior of all men, especially those who believe these things command and teach. Now, I've just mentioned verse 10. I don't want to get sidetracked. In a sense, for the purpose for which I'm speaking this afternoon, it's a rabbit trail. 
If you want to read details about what it means that he's the savior of all men, especially those that believe, I would commend to you William Hendrickson's commentary on the text. He's got a good explanation of what it doesn't mean and what it does mean. And uh, it, to me right now, it's a rabbit trail to get into it. It's not the main point. It doesn't mean, let's see, I, I can't avoid it, can I? <laughs> I, 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 I. <laughs> okay, let's go, let's go chase a rabbit for a minute. It doesn't mean that everybody is saved from sin, whether they're a believer or not. That can't possibly mean that. The word salvation sometimes refers to God delivering people from temporal difficulties. And so he delivers, that's probably what it's talking about. He delivers all kinds of people in common grace from temporal difficulties. And the special focus of his saving power is believers. He saves them not only in common grace, but in saving grace too. All right, enough rabbits. Well, I mean, right? I mean, if I didn't say anything about it, would people not have said, whoa, what's that mean? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, let's get back to the text. The point is, all right, he's saying all this in order to stress the importance of godliness, gospel holiness. Gospel holiness is valuable. It's precious. It's greatly worthwhile. It's not only precious with regard to this life, but also the world to come. Therefore, of an effective or successful in God's eyes gospel minister is someone who keeps his soul in shape with a view to increasing in, growing in grace, conformity to Christ, and gospel holiness. Well, how do you work out? I mean, what are the, the spiritual uh, sit-ups and spiritual push-ups, spiritual resistance training, spiritual treadmill. What do you think? You heard of all this stuff, right? You know, resistance training, you know what that is? And, you know, running and all this stuff. Well, that's the physical stuff. Well, what do you do in order to keep your soul in shape? What do you do? Well, here's what you do. You do the spiritual exercises. Exercise yourself toward godliness. You read the Bible. Not just to preach a sermon, but you read the Bible for your own soul. And you read the Bible and you pray. And you attend the means of grace. And you examine yourself prayerfully. And you keep a conscience void of offense to God and other people always. You keep a clear conscience. You put yourself under the means of grace. You read and you pray and you examine yourself. Those are the spiritual exercises that you do. And you do them regularly and you do them daily if you want to keep your soul in shape. Does that make sense? So you exercise yourself toward godliness because of the superlative value of personal holiness with regard to this life and the world to come. There's the third thing that he says about effective gospel ministers, and that's found in verse 12. Let no man despise 
that is, treat with contempt, look down on. Let no man treat your youth with contempt. But how do you act in such a way that you keep people from treating your youth with contempt? Well, this is what you do. But you be an example to those who believe. He says, instead of this, be an example to believers, to those who believe in word, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, and the Byzantine Greek text adds in spirit. Five hot spots are featured. The way you talk to people, the way you conduct yourself, whether you truly care about people or not, trusting in God in the midst of your trials and difficulties, and the way you act with women. That he's talking about purity with respect to women is clear from what he says in 5.2. He says, Timothy, I want you to treat the younger women like they were your sisters with all purity. And he uses the same word. So if you're going to preach that a man should be pure and that the men of the church should stay away from sexual sin, then you need to be pure and stay away from sexual sin. If you're going to talk to people about how they should treat other people, you need to treat other people the way you're telling Christians they need to do it. We call that practice what you preach. Don't lord it over the flock. Successful gospel ministers practice what they preach. What they tell you to do, they do as examples rather than lording it over the flock as people who put on others burdens that they themselves refuse to bear. And when it's talking about in spirit, some of you have the King James, you see that's also in the text. Well, that seems to be referring to the way you control your temper, the way you control your inner life, your emotional life, keeping those things in check. So you're an example for, to the people of God in the way you talk, in the way you behave, the way you care about people, the way you control your emotional life by the word of God, the way you trust God in trials, and the way you keep yourself pure with respect to the opposite sex. These are the hot spots that he features with respect to practicing what you preach. So, effective ministers tell it like it is. They keep their souls in shape. They practice what they preach. And the fourth thing that he says that they do, the fourth habit that they have, is in verses 13 to 15, they get their priorities straight. They're dedicated to the work that God's called them to do. He says, till I come, give heed to reading and as when Pastor McDermott was reading uh, the text, it, it had actually put in, the, it just says reading in the original, but it probably refers to the public reading of Scripture. Give yourself to reading. The, some, the text he was reading actually translated it that way. Give yourself to reading, to exhortation. And the word is the same word that's used for the comforter, the, the paraclete. Give yourself to that, to 
consoling and comforting and encouraging and supporting and standing by God's people. And then also, the last one is to teaching. That is to the sound doctrine. So you're giving yourself to, you're laying hold on the reading of the word of God, particularly in public. Comforting, supporting, consoling, exhorting, encouraging the people of God. Teaching the sound doctrines of the Christian faith. Then he says, practice these things. Don't neglect the gift that's in you. And meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. Don't neglect, don't disregard your spiritual gifts. And he talks about how that spiritual gift, that it's singular in the original, was received. That it was received through the utterance, intelligible utterance of the word of God and with the company of the public recognition by the laying on of hands of the existing eldership. Then he says, cultivate, practice, Think about these things, reading, encouraging, sound doctrine. And then it's translated, give yourself entirely to them. A literal translation would be, be in these things. Be in them? We have something like that kind of idiom in English. We talk about being into something. What are you into? Right? You ever heard that before? You're into this or he's into that. He's really into sports or he's really into math or he's really into uh, Sally. You know, this type of thing. It means he, he, he's immersed in his heart in sports or in math or in Sally. He's really into it. Well, that's almost literally what that says. Be in these things. Live in these things. Devote yourself to them is the way they translate it. Get your priorities straight. The apostles got their priorities straight. We'll give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Don't neglect the gift that's in you. As good stewards of God's manifold grace, as anyone has received a gift, ministering it among yourselves. The gift that's been recognized by the church and its leaders. Continue in reading the word, encouraging the church, knowing and telling the sound doctrine. And the fruit of this dedication, he says, is evident progress, that your progress, your advancement, your development may be evident to everyone. The fruit of dedication is progress, progress that's evident to anyone who's watching. So that's the... Fourth habit, good ministers get the priorities straight and the priorities are laid out here in the text. And fifth, and finally, it tells them in verse 16, take heed to yourself. Watch where you're going, Timothy. Pay attention. Don't be texting and driving the church. Keep your eye on the road. Or like, if you're hitting, 
Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your head on the ball. Driving a car, keep your eye on the road. Don't be. Right, or talking in the back in the back seat. If you're looking in the back seat, the car is not going the right way. So he's telling him to pay attention to himself, pay attention to what he's saying, to continue in these things. Because when you do this, there's a lot at stake. You're going to save yourself and those who hear you. So this issue of a good minister, folks, of a successful one in God's eyes, a faithful one, a reliable one, it isn't just about him. It's about you. You have an interest in this. You see what this text says, how important it says? See what it says? It says, because in doing this, Timothy, you're going to save yourself and those that hear you. Pay close attention to where you're going. Persist in these things. Remain steadfast in these things. Don't be distracted driving the church. Don't be sleeping behind the wheel. Don't take your eyes off the spiritual road or off the spiritual ball. Be focused on what's going on spiritually in your life and in their life as a church. Pay close attention to your own heart and your own faith and keep the car, the spiritual car, straight on the road. Much is at stake. Your own soul, Timothy, and the souls of those people that sit under your ministry. Effective ministry is a means of grace to bring the preacher and the hearers safe to heaven. So those are the things the text says, as far as I could see it. What are some of the habits of effective, successful in God's eyes, good, not mediocre or poor gospel ministers? Well, they tell it like it is because they preach the word of God fully, faithfully, and fearlessly. They keep their souls in shape because they understand how important godliness is. They practice what they preach because they know that a bad example will undermine everything they're trying to teach the people. They get their priorities straight. They're dedicated to the work of the Lord because they understand how important and crucial it is. And they watch where they're going. Because if they don't, they could run the whole ship aground, go off the road in the ditch. There's a lot at stake. Their own souls and the souls of people listen to them. So by way of application to those of us who are gospel ministers, I just have one simple thing to say. It's kind of obvious. What we need to do is to cultivate, increase, and develop greater measures of these habits in our own lives. And with regard to the churches that are here, what I have to say to not only my own church, but brothers and sisters here in Albany is recognize, dear people, how important these things are. Appreciate what God has given to you and almost goes without saying, pray for your gospel ministers that they, that I say not we, will be good ministers of the gospel.
This is important, not only for them, for us, but also for you. Let me read that last text again and then I'm done. He says this, because in doing this, in doing this, you will save both yourself and those that hear you. May God be pleased to bless his holy word. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would give those of us that have been so privileged to labor in gospel ministry the grace to develop these habits, that we would do these things. We pray for the saints that are here from the different churches, that you would give them grace, Lord, to pray for your servants and to be supportive of them and appreciative of those that are faithful in the gospel, knowing what a great privilege it is. And we pray, dear God, that you would so bless this dear church and these precious sheep and these godly servants that labor here, that you would so bless them. We thank you for this wonderful gift you've given them now. Pray your blessing upon this dear young man and his ministry. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.